Good evening, everyone. <laughs> Our topic is Jesus on end time prophets. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for Jesus on prophecy. Thank you for all of those that are meeting at this same time tonight all over Michigan. Lord, we want to pray for each one of them that uh, you would give us wisdom, that you would guide and direct our hearts and minds. And Lord, you would show us what you would have us do with all of the truth that we have discovered. And Lord, uh, help us to fall in love with you. You are the truth. And if we fall in love with the truth, we're falling in love with You. And Lord, we need You. And so we're praying the Holy Spirit will guide our hearts and minds. And You'll give us wisdom when it comes to this topic of end-time prophets. And Lord, show us how that fits into end-time prophecy as well. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look out there in the world tonight, you realize that there are men and women everywhere that are searching for certainty. They are looking for assurance. And the problem that most people have, though, is that we're looking for it in all the wrong places. And that's why I think it's probably why we have an explosion of interest in psychic phenomenon today. People are seeking for answers outside of themselves and they are looking for it in a variety of ways. And so, because they want those answers, because those answers have to come from outside of themselves, they are searching in all of these different ways and unfortunately most of the time it just brings confusion. And so they're looking for a touch or a connection with the divine. They're looking for an experience in the supernatural and rather than going and getting that from God, we're getting it in all the wrong places. And so here are some ominous words from Jesus warning us against the counterfeit. In Matthew 24, verse 24, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. Here we see that there are going to be many in the end of time who are going to claim to be able to put you in touch with the divine claiming that they will give you supernatural answers, but Jesus says that the majority of them are false what? False Christs and false prophets, right? Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, when we look in Matthew 24, when we look here in Matthew 7, we realize that Jesus is talking about at the end of time. That there are going to be these false Christs and false prophets. And so I want you to think about that for a minute. What is Jesus saying here he's saying watch out don't be deceived by false prophets the implication there then 
because he's talking about the end of time, the implication is that there are also true prophets. Right? Because if there weren't, he would have just simply said, beware of anyone who claims to be a prophet. Right? But he doesn't say that. He says, beware of false prophets. And so that means there must be genuine or true prophets of God at the end of time. Jesus says, beware of those false prophets. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because this is talking about a false prophet that really is a counterfeit, right? And I want you to think about counterfeits for a minute. Have you ever seen a counterfeit $13 bill? No? There's a reason for that, right? Because there's no genuine counterfeiters counterfeit $10, $20, bills, right? Because there's an original, there's a genuine. And so when we're looking at false prophets, it must mean that there are genuine or there are true prophets and they are counterfeiting them. And so we want to realize that as we look at end time prophets tonight. And that's why we've chosen this theme for our series. If it's in the Bible, I believe it. But if it disagrees with it, then it's not for me. Because we do not want to be deceived when people put forward these ideas that contradict the Bible, we can know that they are false. How is it that we know a counterfeit? Or how is it that we know a false teaching or a false prophet? I want you to think about that in the sense of money once again. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the FBI trains people on how to spot phony money, how to spot counterfeit ten, twenty, hundred dollar bills, right? Again, I don't know if you know this or not, but when they're training those people, they never look at a counterfeit bill. They always look at the original. The whole time that they're going through their training, they are so focused on the genuine, they are so focused on the true, the original, they learn it so intricately so that when a counterfeit bill comes in front of them, they can immediately spot it. Because they've studied the true. And that's the same for us, right? If we're going to understand false prophets, we don't need to look into false prophets. We need to look into true prophets and see what they're like, see what their qualifications are. And then we should be able to spot a false prophet a mile away, right? And so we want to make sure that we go by what the Bible says so that we can understand what a true prophet is. What is the Bible talking about or what does it teach about the genuine gift of prophecy? Could it be that the reason that the devil counterfeits the prophetic gift is because God has a genuine? 
He's a deceiver. He's a counterfeiter. That's what he does. He can't come up with stuff on his own, so he just counterfeits what God does. The next question then is, does Scripture teach that there will be a manifestation of the genuine gift of prophecy in earth's last days? That's what we want to find out. Or does Scripture teach, as many claim, that Bible prophecy ceased when the Bible was completed? There are many people today that have that view, that say there will be no more prophets once the Bible was written. And we want to flush that out as well. Should the church expect the spiritual gift of prophecy to be operative in the church in these last days? And if so, how can we tell the genuine and how can we tell the counterfeit? So let's go in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, that's going to be page 1345. 1345, Ephesians 4, and I want you to notice what it says in verse 8. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus and speaking to us, and he says in verse 8, Therefore, when he, that is Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave what? He gave gifts to men. And so here we see that when Jesus Christ went back up into heaven, He gave gifts to men. Now, what gifts did He give? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Well, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't just end there, but he keeps on going. Look with me in verse 11. And He Himself, that's Jesus gave some to be apostles, some, what's the next word? Prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what are the gifts that Jesus gave to the church? And we saw a list of them there. We saw apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, do you think that we still need teachers in the church today? Absolutely, right? We need people that can teach the truth to edify, to build up, to bring understanding, to bring us to a greater connection with Christ. Do you think that the church still needs pastors today? We absolutely need pastors who are going to teach the truth, who are going to lead you into a deeper commitment with God and help you to see the deceptions that's going on in these last days. Do we still need evangelists today? We absolutely need evangelists to show us what prophecy says, show us what deceptions are going on in the world, see where we're headed so that we can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Do we still need apostles today? If you think about the apostles, they were the organization of the church. They were the administrators, right? Do we still need administrators in the church today? 
Absolutely, we need people to guide and direct the people into the work that God has called us to do. And we need someone to administer all of that. So if we need all of those other gifts in the last days, why would we assume for one minute that we don't still need prophets as well? How long will these gifts remain in the church and what would they be for? That's the question that we need to answer. And notice what Paul said in verse 12. What is the purpose of all of these gifts? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so God would put spiritual gifts in His church, including the gift of prophecy. He would bless His church with visions and dreams. And that is what Scripture says. Jesus gave these gifts to the church to strengthen it to accomplish its mission of proclaiming the gospel to the world. That's essentially what we just read in Ephesians 4 verse 12, wasn't it? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. That's what God gave us those gifts to us for. So do you think that if we're going to have the gifts and and we're going to accomplish the mission that Christ gave us, are we going to need the gift of prophecy at the end of time? Absolutely. And how long will these gifts remain in the church? Would they be taken away for a short period of time? The Bible tells us, look with me here still in Ephesians 4. Now look at verse 13 and 14. The Bible says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So here we see why we need these gifts and how long they will remain with the church. Now, let me ask you a question. Have we all come to the unity of the faith? I hear a lot of laughing going on because we don't have unity in the church of Christ. We have division today. We have hundreds of denominations and all of this fracture within the church, and so we haven't come to the unity of faith. And so we should expect that just like the need for pastors and teachers and evangelists and administrators, we are still going to need the gift of prophecy all the way until the coming of Christ so that we can come together in unity of the faith. And it goes on to talk about we would measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried around by every wind of doctrine and all of the deceptions that have come into the church. And so we see that we still have need of prophets today. And so as Jesus ascended back into heaven, He gave the early church these gifts. He says, I'm going to give you these gifts. I'm going to place them within my church. And one of those gifts is the gift of prophecy. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says, So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul tells us that as we are in these last days, as we are in that judgment hour, as we are in that expectation of the soon return of Jesus Christ to this earth, that we should not come short of any of the gifts that God has given us. We should still have those gifts in the church. And the Bible says that as we are waiting, we should have them. If we are looking for the truth, if we are looking for God's people on earth, we should be looking for a body of Christ here on earth that still has all of those gifts that God has given. We need to find a church that is eagerly anticipating the second coming of Christ. It must be an Adventist church, right? They must be looking for the second advent or the second coming of Christ. If we're looking for God's true church, we should be looking for a church that longs for and is looking for the second coming of Jesus. It must be a Bible-based church. It must be a grace-filled church that preaches the blood of Christ and salvation through grace, right? We are saved by grace through faith and not of works, but we are going to be judged according to our works, right? And so we have to put the two of those into balance. We're saved by grace, but we're going to be judged by what we do. Because think about that for a minute. Anyone can say, I'm a Christian, right? But do our actions reveal? Do we have a hunger and a desire to be in the Word of God? Do we have a hunger and a desire to pray? Do we have a hunger and a desire to be in church every week? Not because it saves us to be there, but because we want to be with God's people, we want to be in worship, we can't think of anywhere else we would want to be other than at church. And so these are the things we should be looking for. It should be a Christ-centered church. We need to find a church that leads to the obedience of the Ten Commandments, keeping God's commandments, and it must be a Sabbath-keeping church. That's what we should be looking for in God's end-time church. But to that body, to that Bible-believing group of believers, we should expect and anticipate the gift of prophecy being restored. Because if it doesn't have the gift of prophecy then it would be lacking or short of one of the gifts that Paul was talking about earlier, right? He says you don't want to come short. You don't want to have a few of these. You want all of the gifts, and that's what we should have in God's last day church. And the Bible says that the church that is waiting for the coming of Jesus is going to not be short in any gift whatsoever. We should also anticipate that Jesus is going to give His last day church the gift of prophecy. Jesus promised the gift of prophecy would be revived in the last days. And maybe that's the reason why 
today in our world that we are seeing this explosion of interest in astrology and the occult because Satan's going to have a counterfeit, right? And so we see this increase in all of this spiritualism that's going on in the world because there are really two great dangers that we need to think about when it comes to end time prophets. And the first danger is that we would accept the counterfeit. Millions of people wanting a supernatural experience are going to accept false supernatural experiences that the devil's going to bring. Remember what we read in one of our previous meetings that all of the miracles going on at the end of time were by demons performing signs, right? And so we see that, and we've got to make sure that we don't receive a false prophet, that we don't go along with the counterfeit. The other possibility then is that we would reject the genuine. If we're so skeptical of all of the false manifestations that are going on, that we actually reject the genuine, the true prophet, and we ignore them. It is possible to be so cautious that we become afraid of any church that claims to have the prophetic gift. In fact, there's a question that we need to answer. And that is, how can we tell the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet? There is a way to detect the counterfeit gift of prophecy. And the Bible is going to give us six tests for genuine prophecy. And once we understand the biblical tests, then we can spot a counterfeit a mile away if we truly understand the true and what we should be looking for. So in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, it says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. And so here we see that God is letting us know that he does speak to his people that he calls the prophets. So prophets receive messages from God in two very biblical ways or basic ways. The first one is that an angel would bring them a dream or a vision. Now, a dream would be something that we have at night, right? You've had dreams. But a vision would be something when someone is awake and God just takes them off in vision. I like the way Ezekiel said that in that verse that we read the other night, that the Lord grabbed him by the lock of his hair and picked him up and took him off in vision, right? And so those are the two ways that God speaks to His prophet uh, in vision or in dreams. That's one. Or the second one is the Holy Spirit impressing the mind of that prophet. And I want to show this to you, so turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's going to be page 1368. This is a verse that we looked at probably on night number one of our series. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I want to show you something here in verse 16. 
The Bible says all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So here we see that God did not dictate to the prophets exactly what to write. But He impressed upon their minds the idea and that was interwoven with their own character, their traditions, their culture, all of those things weaved in there. But God got His message into His Word by impressing it upon their minds. And so here again we see those two ways that God speaks to His prophets through dreams and visions or impressing their mind in what He would have them say or what He would have them write. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here, here we see that someone can't just wake up one day and decide, well, I'm going to be a prophet of God. Right? It doesn't work that way. God has to choose them. God has to uh, impress them and, and move upon their heart as He speaks to them uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so it's not uh, something that we can decide for ourselves. God is the one who does the choosing. And so there are two ways in a vision or a dream and through the impressions of the Holy Spirit, whether God has them write it out in the case of the Bible writers or whether He just speaks to them and they are moved by it and then they go and do whatever He would have them do. Not all of God's prophets are Bible writers we have to realize that there are many other prophets in the Bible besides the ones that wrote each of the 66 books of the Bible. For example, Agabus is called a prophet in the book of Acts, but he never wrote any book. We don't have a book of Agabus, do we? Think about John the Baptist. Jesus called him the greatest prophet ever, and yet John never wrote a book. Right? But we need to think about why that is. What's the difference between Bible writers and other true prophets? They both are inspired by God, but the prophets whose writings are included in the Bible have a message that has an eternal consequence, or something that's for all of church history, and it's universal in scope. But then those that didn't write something, that doesn't mean that they weren't prophets, it just means that God didn't have them write it down because it was probably a message just for their time. For example, the Bible says that Noah was a prophet, right? And Noah preached for 120 years. But the message was particular to that day. You need to repent and you need to get in the boat because there's a flood coming. That has no value for us once that event happened and so there was nothing written in there. John the Baptist, the same way. His message was repent, the Messiah is coming. You need to get ready. 
And so there are some that are written, there are some that are not. So were there any women prophets in the Bible? And yes, there were. In the Old Testament, you have Deborah, she was a prophetess. You have Huldah, she was a prophetess. You go to the New Testament and you have the seven daughters of Philip. And so, yes, there were women prophets as well. Now, what are the tests of a true prophet? How can you tell a true prophet from a false prophet? I want to give you six tests that God gives to us in His Word so that we can determine a true or a false prophet. Number one, they must have 100% accuracy. God is not a God of confusion. And He's not going to have one prophet say one thing and another prophet say something totally different from that. They all have to be in agreement and they all have to be 100% prophet all of the time or they are not speaking on behalf of God. Notice what it says in Jeremiah 28 verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophets will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. And so here we see a couple of things. Number one, we see that if it's a prophet of God, the thing that they're prophesying is actually going to happen, right? It may not happen in their lifetime, but it is going to happen. But there are a couple of things that we need to be very careful with this statement. Two things that we need to keep in consideration. Number one, sometimes prophecies are conditional. Let me give you an example of that. In the days of Jonah, Jonah was told by God to go and preach to Nineveh. And Jonah was a reluctant prophet. But God finally got his attention and he went to Nineveh and he preached 40 days and you're going to get yours. Right? And that would have been absolutely true except for a very basic biblical truth. And that is that God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to be saved. And the Bible is very clear that if we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jonah goes and preaches, but from the king all the way down to the lowest slave, they all repent. And so what happens? God relents. God does not destroy them at that time. God did come years later and He did destroy Nineveh. But for that people, it was conditional. You're going to be destroyed unless you repent. And that's the same condition for us, isn't it? And so there are prophecies that are conditional. And the second thing that we need to consider, I'm going to talk about in a minute. God's true prophets are accurate because God does not confuse the message. God does not bring error. God does not bring conflicting information. If there's an apparent conflict in the Word of God, it's not in the Word of God. It's in our understanding of it. Amen? And so God's true prophets are not 
you know, accurate 70% of the time or 30% or 15%. They have to be accurate 100% of the time. The second test is biblical faithfulness. A true messenger from God will always lead people to the Bible. Always point them to the Word of God. Bible prophets do not rise up to tell you uh, that you know, there's a certain movie star that's going to get married for the fifth time. God doesn't care about that stuff, right? That's not going to be... Pro- well, He does care about that, but He's not going to prophesy that kind of stuff. But I want you to notice this powerful passage in Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 through 4. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or of that dreamer of dreams. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice, and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. Now this is the second point that I want to make about true prophets. And I said we needed to be careful because we remember what we read before. If a prophet prophesies something and it comes to pass, that verse said that they're a true prophet, right? But what are we reading here? We're reading if that prophet prophesies something and it comes true, but then they do something contrary to the Word of God, they're not a true prophet. In other words, a prophet of God is always going to be obedient to God. They're always going to follow God's instructions and they're always going to lead you to the Bible, not away from it. And that's what that verse was talking about, right? They prophesied, it came true, and then they say, okay, let's go follow after other gods. A true prophet of God is never going to do that. They're going to always lead you to the truth. And the problem is that there's major deceptions that are going on in the world. We are heading to a place where there are going to be miracles that are going to be performed. There are going to be people claiming to be prophets. And just because a miracle happened, just because what they said came true, doesn't mean they're from God. It may be those spirits of demons working signs like we read about already. This text says that if the so-called prophet is not leading a person to the Word of God to be faithful to Scripture, they are blatantly false. Now I want to point out that there are actually several churches that claim to have a prophet... But the prophet then said, my visions supersede the Bible and they lead them away from the Bible. That's not a true prophet. That's what we're seeing here. And we need to run from them because they are deceiving you. You know the saying that says if you play with fire, you're going to get burned? We need to run away from those false prophets where they say that they're of God, but they're not in harmony with the Word of God. 
The third test of a true prophet is that they always exalt Jesus. The genuine gift of prophecy exalts Him. And I want you to look at this clear passage in 1 John 4, 1 and 2. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. God says don't be gullible. God says don't be deceived. But make sure that you test them with these six tests to make sure that they are a genuine prophet because there are a lot of false prophets that have gone out already. And by this we know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And so a true prophet is always going to be exalting Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You search the Scripture daily because in them you think you have life, but they testify of Me. Right, And so a true prophet is always going to be pointing to Jesus, always going to be exalting Jesus as the only way by which man can be saved. But the true gift of prophecy should always lead us to Jesus. You see, the genuine gift of prophecy, according to the Bible, is found in Revelation 19, verse 10. It says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And so a genuine prophet of God is always going to be testifying of Jesus. John the Baptist testified of Jesus, didn't he? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He said, He must increase, I must decrease. He was always testifying of Jesus. The genuine gift of prophecy then is the testimony of Jesus. And that's because a true prophet is always going to bear witness of Jesus and for Jesus. Number four, the test of a true prophet is that they themselves will point you to keeping the commandments of God and they themselves will be keeping the commandments of God. So if someone claims to be a prophet and they're telling you you don't need to keep the commandments of God, that's a false prophet. If they're telling you you need to keep the commandments of God, but they don't do it themselves, they're a false prophet, right? I want you to notice what it says here in Isaiah 8 verse 20. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. I want you to notice that word testimony there, right? Because we just read the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So let's fit that in there. To the law and to the prophets. If they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. It's interesting to me that John and Peter both say that they touched, they handled, they were with Jesus. But they say we had the more sure word of prophecy. They're saying that you can trust the law and the prophets more than you can with your own sight. 
more than you can with your own hands or your emotions or your feelings or with your natural experience in this world. To the law and to the prophets. The law and the prophets always go together. You ever thought about why Moses and Elijah showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration? Because Moses was representing the law. He was representing those who would be resurrected. And Elijah was representing the prophets. And he was representing those who would be translated. And so the law and the prophets always go together. And that's why, too, whenever God's people stopped keeping the law, God wouldn't provide any prophets. That's why in that 1,260 years of the papal reign of terror, there was no prophecy. Because the people were not keeping the law. The truth had been cast down to the ground. Error was prospering. And what did we read? The people in that day was just baptized paganism. Right? And so there was no gift of prophecy. But when that 1260 years was done and God started restoring the truth and God's people started keeping His commandments, He restored the gift of prophecy. Notice the fifth test. Physical test. There are certain things that we should see that involve physical phenomena that are associated with the true gift of Bible prophecy. Three physical criteria that distinguish the genuine gift. Number one, prophets experience visions with their eyes open. I'm not going to take you there, but you can go to Numbers 24, verse 4, and there are a few other verses there where the prophet's eyes are open while they are in vision. Now, we're not talking about dreams. Dreams is when you're sleeping. But visions, they were awake, and their eyes are open the whole time that they are in vision. Number two, when they're in vision, prophets have no physical strength. You can go to Daniel chapter 10, verse 8 and look at that. There are a few others there as well. Ezekiel and Isaiah, both, when they went into vision, they fell down as though dead many times. And so they just had no physical strength. And then the third thing is prophets and vision do not breathe. You can go to Daniel 10, 17. You can go to Ezekiel and you can see those. When they are in vision, they stop breathing. Why is that? Because the Scripture says that God inspires them, right? Another way of saying that is it is God-breathed. So in that case, God is sustaining them while they are in vision. And there have been prophets that have been in vision for hours that were not breathing had their eyes open, and yet didn't have any physical strength. They were, they were held up by God. God is sustaining the life of that biblical prophet. Number six, there should be spiritual fruit in the life of the prophet. The genuine gift of prophecy is given to God's church. God places the gift of prophecy in His church to bear spiritual fruit in the lives of the believers and in the life of the church. That's why God gives it, and there should be evidence, there should be fruit of that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 20 says, Therefore by their fruits 
you will know them. If God has a church on earth today, and if God raises up a Christ-centered, cross-preaching, grace-filled, Bible-believing, Sabbath-observing, Seventh-day Adventist people, if God does that, then we would expect that He would restore to that group of people the gift of prophecy through dreams and visions. The gift of prophecy does not take the place of the Bible. It exalts it. The, the gift of prophecy is never to be seen above the Bible. It is to be seen in addition to it to lift up the Bible and to draw people to God and to the truth. And so here we see what a true prophet should look like. They should be 100% accurate. They should be leading you back to the Bible. They should be leading you to exalting Jesus. They should be leading you by meeting the requirement of those physical tests. And there should be fruit of their ministry. So let's look at what the Bible says about His last day church and Revelation's message to His end time people. Go with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, that's going to be page 1417. We've read this verse the last couple of meetings we've had, but I want to read it again. Verse 17. It says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. This verse is part of a brief history of the church from the beginning of Christ's ministry all the way to the end of time. And chapter 12 predicted that the church would be persecuted for that 1,260 year period and that it would flourish again at the end of time. During that 1260 years, the true church went into hiding, but after 1798, when the truth started being restored, they started coming out of hiding, and as the truth was being lifted up, as God's people were following the truth, as they were keeping the commandments of God, God would restore the gift of prophecy. And then in verse 17, it identifies the characteristics of God's last day people. They keep all of the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus, which we see is the spirit of prophecy. God's last day people, God's last divine movement on earth, God's Bible-believing, Christ-centered, Sabbath-keeping people must have the gift of prophecy. That's what the Bible is telling us. The gift of prophecy is placed in God's church. In fact, look what 1 Corinthians 12:28 says. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, and then it goes on to talk about teachers and pastors and evangelists, right? And so God has appointed these to be in His church. If it's the true church, they should have that gift. If we believe that we have found God's church, it must have the biblical gift of prophecy. If it didn't, then it could not possibly be God's true church because the Bible predicts that the true church at the end of time will have that gift. The Bible teaches 
that God is going to have a true church all the way through. We talked about this the other night. God has always had a remnant. There have always been a few people that have followed God. Lowest number we see is in the days of Noah. Eight people got on the ark, right? But God has always had a remnant, and He's going to have a remnant in these last days. Now, here's the question. Has God blessed the Seventh-day Adventist church with the gift of prophecy? If He has not then we need to keep looking for the bride of Christ as she is described in Revelation chapter 12. She should be keeping all of the commandments of God and she should have the gift of prophecy. And so if it's not the Seventh-day Adventist church, then you better keep on looking. Faithful to His Word, God Himself placed the gift of prophecy in His last day Sabbath-keeping Adventist church. God took a young woman, the weakest of the weak, only had a third-grade education, and He blessed her with prophetic dreams and visions. This young woman was very sickly, but yet she had an open mind and heart to God. And Seventh-day Adventists believe that God gave her the gift of prophecy. Her name was Ellen Gould Harmon, and she married James White and became Ellen G. White. And God gave her more than 2,000 prophetic visions and dreams. She wrote over 50 books. She lectured to thousands on three continents. The last few years of Ellen White's life she spent in California and when George Wharton James was writing the history of California in his book called California, the Romantic and the Beautiful, he commented on this simple, humble, godly, spiritual woman on page 319 of his book. George Wharton James was a historian And he was not a Seventh-day Adventist. But notice what he said about her. He said, This remarkable woman, though almost entirely self-educated, has written and published more books in more languages which circulate to the greater extent than any other woman in history. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? For a woman who was sick most of her life. Quite amazing for a woman who only had a third-grade education. And there are many people that have questions about the gift of prophecy, especially the question, does the gift of prophecy replace the Bible? And especially they ask the question, do Seventh-day Adventists accept the writings of Ellen White as being superior or even equal to the Bible? And the answer is absolutely not. They look at her as you would any other prophet, like Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel. What was the job of that prophet? To point people back to God, to point them back to the truth, right? And that's what we would expect if she is truly a prophet of God. Seventh-day Adventists believe in the Bible and the Bible only as our source of our Bible doctrine. And you will notice we are in night 23 of our meetings, and this is the first time I've ever mentioned her. We have done nothing but look at the Word of God 
all through our meetings. Every teaching of the Adventist church comes directly out of the Bible. But we use her writings to give greater understanding to the Bible. That's what you would do for any prophet, right? You would do the same thing for those even that are written there. We do not drop a portion of Bible text that says that God is going to restore the prophetic gift at the end of time. There are many pastors and theologians who would have you believe that the gift of prophecy was done away with when they finished the Bible and we would never see it again. But that is not a biblical stand. Even when the prophetic message might rebuke us in in our favorite sins, we still look to her to guide us back to the truth. The only thing an honest-hearted man or woman can do before dismissing anyone who claims to be a prophet is to read their writings for yourself. You can't take someone else's word for what they think she is. If you truly want to know whether she's a prophet or not, I encourage you to read her books and see, is she pointing you back to God? Is she pointing to the truth? Is she exalting Jesus? Is she showing you that you need to get back into the Word of God. It's interesting that people in her day asked her if she was a prophet. And she said, I am a lesser light pointing to a greater light. And that's what any prophet would do. That's what we would expect from them. So let's apply these prophetic tests to Ellen White. If this person meets the biblical test of a messenger from the Lord... We should accept them as the genuine voice from God. And if they don't, then we should rule them out. So how does Ellen White line up with those six biblical tests? Let's look at them. Number one, prophetic accuracy. What areas did Ellen White write in and were those areas accurate? One of the subjects that she wrote on was health. And back in the 1800s when she lived, as she was writing in those days, people had no idea that sugar and fat contributed to coronary heart disease. And yet she was pointing to that in her day. Ellen White wrote about a diet of whole grains, fruits, nuts, and vegetables, the very diet that the American Heart Association is now recommending. This diet is also an anti-cancer diet. Scientific research today has now concluded that a diet rich in fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables helps prevent cancer. Clive McKay of Cornell University said in speaking of her, this woman is 100 years ahead of her time in the area of diet. Back in the 1800s, Ellen White wrote a book called Ministry of Healing. And in that book on page 327, she said, tobacco is a slow, insidious, but most malignant poison. Now we might look at that verse today and we would say, no kidding, everybody knows that, right? But I want you to think about this for a minute. This was in the 1800s that she wrote this. And there were doctors that were actually at that time saying that smoking was good for you. They were prescribing 
tobacco to their patients and they believed that inhaling that smoke would cleanse your lungs. But today we look at that and we go, that's ridiculous, right? But she was saying that way back before we even got on on the idea of that. The second test is, was there a biblical faithfulness? Was she pointing people to the truth? Was she pointing people to the Word of God? Was she pointing them to keeping the commandments of God and keeping the Sabbath? And the answer is yes. She was doing those things. She wrote in the book, The Great Controversy, In our time, there is a wide departure from their doctrines and precepts, and there is need of a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible and the Bible only, as the rule of faith and duty. After 22 nights of Jesus on prophecy, would you agree with that? Absolutely. We need to get back to the Bible and the Bible only, because error and tradition and pagan practices have crept into the church a little error with truth over thousands of years and today we're going by all of those man-made teachings the doctrines of men rather than the commandments of God and so yes she was pointing people to the truth and she herself was living out the things that she was sharing with others The true gift of prophecy exalts Jesus Christ. And we can see through her writings that she was continuously exalting Jesus. She was pointing people to Jesus as the only one by which they could be saved. And uh, I want you to notice something that she said in a book called Gospel Workers, page 160. She says, lift up Jesus. You that teach the people, lift him up in sermon, in song, in prayer. Let all of your powers be directed to pointing souls, confused, bewildered, lost, to the Lamb of God. Does that sound like she was exalting Jesus? Absolutely. Ellen White's writings are filled with an emphasis on Jesus. She points out again and again that we are saved by grace through faith. She wrote the book, Desire of Ages which is a powerful book about the life of Christ. She wrote the book called Christ Object Lessons, which actually gives greater clarity and understanding to all the parables that Jesus gave. She wrote Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. That was in response to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. She wrote a book called Steps to Christ, that will lead you to know Christ for yourself and help you to have a deeper commitment to Him. Powerful book. Somebody said the proof is in the pudding, right? And when you go to read her books and you go to to, uh, see what she has to say, you will see for yourself that she is truly a prophet of God. She passes the biblical test. Her writings exalt Jesus as Lord and Savior. And this leads us to the fourth test of a true prophet, commandment keeping. She was pointing people back to the need to keep the commandments of God and she herself was doing that. She continuously urged people to study their Bibles so that we would know the truth. 
And she agreed with Jesus where he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And she was continuously pointing people there. So the modern gift of prophecy meets the test of accuracy. It meets the test of biblical faithfulness. It exalts Jesus. It leads people back to keeping the commandments. But what about the physical tests? One of the physical tests of a true prophet is that they don't breathe when they are in vision. Dr. Drummond was a doctor in, in this time that when she was alive and having her visions, and he said this, I cannot accept visions and dreams from any woman. I reject them. I know, he continued, based on Daniel the 10th chapter, you are not supposed to breathe in vision. And he said, I will examine her myself. And he happened to be there when she was in vision and you can read the medical account of Dr. Drummond when he examined Ellen White in vision. And he says this, She does not breathe. This is an unusual phenomenon. And Drummond himself became a believer in God's work through visions and dreams. And during her visions, she not only didn't breathe, but she had her eyes open the whole time as well. So what about spiritual fruitage in her life? Was there anything there as a result of her ministry? Ellen White wrote a book called Education, and in it she said that Seventh-day Adventists, Bible-believing Christians, should establish schools around the world so Adventist young people could be educated to bring the gospel to the world. That's what she was advocating for. And as a result of that, what is the spiritual fruitage? The Seventh-day Adventist Church is the largest Protestant educational system in the world. There are over a million students that attend the thousands of schools that we have around the world. There are over 13 million outpatients who visit the 785 hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, dispensaries, children's facilities, airplane and medical launches operated by the church every day because she was advocating for us to have our own hospitals as well. And uh, you can see the result of that today. So what is the fruitage? Hospitals around the world? Schools around the world. Ellen White's writings do not deal with bizarre events and wild-eyed fanaticism, but they have changed the world. The visions and dreams guides God's people so that the church can move forward around the world. Seventh-day Adventists today have a modern mission movement that spans the globe. I want to close today by telling you a story about a man by the name of Sakuba who lived in Africa. This is a very well-documented story. But he went to bed one night and he prayed. And he said, O big God of the stars, O big God, I feel empty in my heart. O big God, take me to a place where I can learn Your truth. And that night in 1953, an angel visited him in his hut where he was sleeping and said, follow me. And Sakuba got up and began to walk following this angel. And he traveled through the African grasslands and through the desert. And the angel told him 
that he would guide him to the people of the book. And Sakuba responded, I can't read. And the angel said to him, that's okay, they will teach you. And so he kept walking and he, the angel told him he should be looking for the people with the black book and they also had nine books which are in four volumes. And so Sakuba continued to walk. He walked at night for two weeks and he came to the edge of the jungle and he found this Christian mission. And he went in there and he asked them if they had the black book. And the pastor there said, yeah, and he brought out his Bible. And he said, okay, then do you have the four books that are really nine? And that pastor said, no, I'm not sure what you're talking about. And so the angel told him, we're not there yet. You need to find Pastor Moyo and the Sabbath-keeping people. And so Sakuba continued to walk. He walked through the fields. He walked through the jungle. And then finally he came to a little Seventh-day Adventist mission. And when he did, he walked up to him and he said, is Pastor Moyo here? And they said, yeah, he is. Hold on a minute. And they went and got him. And Pastor Moyo came out there and he said, do you have the black book? And he said, yeah, I got a black Bible. And he went and got his worn out black Bible and he showed it to him. And Sakuba said, that's the one I saw in my dream. And he said, do you have the four books that are really nine? And he said, yeah, I've got those too. And he went and got the nine books that are in four volumes called Testimony for the Church. The writings of Ellen White that were designed to help God's people draw closer and closer to God. And so Sakuba stayed with them and he began to learn how to read. He began to understand God and the Word of God. He was finally baptized and then he went back to his village. And he shared the Word of God with them and almost every single person in that village gave their heart to Jesus. God has the gift of prophecy in these last days. And He gave that gift to Ellen White and she has been instrumental in guiding us deeper into understanding of prophecy, into understanding the commandments of God and the will of God and the deceptions that are going on in these last days. And so, ladies and gentlemen, as we come to the end of Jesus on prophecy, we have been pointing to the deceptions that are going on. A little bit of error mixed with truth over thousands of years. And we have seen how the devil has been this infiltration into the church. He tried to destroy the church from from without and he couldn't do it. And so he's destroying it from within. And he's brought all of this error and tradition into the church. But God has a remnant. God has a true church today. And we want to invite you to become a part of God's remnant church. God's last day church. And there's only two identifying marks. They keep all of the commandments of God and they have the spirit of prophecy or the testimony of Jesus. 
There's only one church in the world that fits that description. And that's the Seventh-day Adventist church. The question is, do you want to be a part of God's last day movement? Do you want to be a part of those? Because remember what we read in Revelation 18.4 in talking about the harlot mother and the harlot daughters. Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you share in her plagues. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon, and I believe that He is, then those plagues have to fall before He comes. And we want to be ready for Him. We want to be ready before probation closes. When the judgment in heaven is finished, probation closes, and Christ is coming back. And we want to be ready, don't we? Is that the desire of your heart? Do you want to be a part of God's last day church? If you do, stand with me and let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for this Jesus on Prophecy series. Lord, thank you for bringing us every night, putting a hunger and a desire in us to know the truth. And Lord, you have brought us to a place where we have seen your people at the end of time. We've seen the apostate system and we've seen where it's heading. And we see the deception that's going on. The whole world is going to wander after the beast. And Lord, we don't want to be a part of that. We want to be able to stand at the brightness of Your coming. We want to be counted worthy to escape the punishment that's coming upon the world. And so, Lord, we pray that You would help us to choose You and choose life. Lord, You know every person here. You know who's sincere and who's giving lip service. But Lord... I pray for everyone here who seriously wants to be a part of Your last day people. Lord, help us to know the truth, understand the truth, and most of all, love the truth so that You can apply it to our lives and transform us, change us, prepare us for the things that are coming. And we pray and ask in Jesus' name, Amen.